Silvanus and Timotheus was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. Here's the part we listen, we, we quote, we listen to it all the time, we like it. For the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, to the glory of God by us. Now he which established us with you in Christ hath anointed us in God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Verse 20 of that scripture setting says, For the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, to the glory of God by us. The Message Bible translates it this way, Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. Another translation says, For Jesus Christ, the Son of God who was preached among you, is not one who is yes and no, but on the contrary, he, talking about Jesus, is God's yes. About He is God's yes. I want to talk to you for just a little bit tonight about amen. Amen. The word amen is a remarkable word. It was transliterated directly from the Hebrew into the Greek of the New Testament, and then it was transliterated into Latin and into, is what that means, and into many other languages, which means they use the same word, is what that means. It is practically a universal word. In other words, it's the same in every language. It has been called the best-known word in the universe, the word amen. But does anybody here tonight with a show of hands know what the word amen means? You may think you do. I see some of you. There may be some depth to it that we haven't heard, uh, understood, at least I haven't understood completely. The word amen is directly related. In fact, it is almost identical to the Hebrew word for believe. It is A-M-E-N. The Hebrew word amen, it is still said amen, is spelled A-M-A-N. It means believe or faithful. Thus, the word amen that we use means firm, sure, truly. It is an expression of absolute trust and confidence. When one believes God, when something believes God in what he's saying, or that God is uh, trying to do something for us, we in a statement of faith, we say amen, meaning, God, I believe you. When God makes a promise, our response is amen, or so it will be. We close that according to his word and his will. We know that God will answer, so we close that prayer with an amen. But amen is not just an idle word, but it is rather a response of a lifetime to God. And I want to stop right here and try to emphasize 
what the word amen, and we're going to get to the, the, the reason behind all of this groundwork in just a few minutes. But when somebody says amen, and they mean it, are saying, and it is used in its, in its original context, what they are saying is that, God, your promise to me is settled. I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to doubt it. It's not something that's open for debate. This is not something I'm going to have an intense discussion with with somebody else in regards to whether it will actually take place or not. But when I believe it and I say amen, I am sealing it in my confidence and in my faith to God. In other words, when God gives a promise and it is ended, it is a man, there is, there's no room for error. There's no room for that promise to change. It is a seal that's being put on it. And, and it's the same thing when we pray. That when we end that prayer, and we, we do it all the time around our kitchen table. We pray over our mashed potatoes and we say, God bless this food and may it be a nourishment to our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And the word amen is used so loosely it almost has lost its meaning, but I want us to understand uh, that amen is more than just a simple word that we use to end a prayer. It is indicating to God that you have bought into that you believe 100% of everything that has just happened. It was just said. New Testament, it is. it leaves no room for question. In the New the word amen is often translated verily or truly. In fact, Jesus used it all the time in such, in such scriptures as Matthew 17 and 20. When Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily or amen or truly I say unto you, if you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. The word Here Jesus is using the word. It's translated as verily, but it was the word amen. In other words, this is forever settled. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus said, And verily I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's no open discussion on that. It was sealed with an amen or a surely. In Matthew chapter 18 and 18, the Bible says, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And here again, Jesus has given us an incredible promise that is sealed with this word that means it's done, and we, we have access to these. These are promises that God has made us that we have access to, and they're not changeable. Matthew 24 and 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. John 3 and 3, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, um, except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. John 8 and 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. John 14 and 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do also he shall do, and greater works than these, 
because I go into my Father. And these are all sealed. This is Jesus himself saying this word that we call amen as a seal to these promises. Using amen as a response in church held for has been around as long as the church has. It's a tradition that we have held for thousands of years. In fact, it comes directly from the Old Testament when they would Jewish worshipers, and the scripture records this at the ending of the law, when they would read the law, when the when it was finished, all the people would say, Amen. Sealing or taking away the debate of what they had just heard. Several of the early church uh, writers refer to this custom. The historian says at the conclusion of public prayer, the united voice of the people sounding in that one unified amen would sound like the fall of water or the noise of thunder. There would be so many people, again, agreeing with what God the, the said. Unfortunately, amen, the, the true use of the word in our modern Christian culture seems to be dying off. And the reason it's dying is a lot of churches are dying. Have problems with parking space. Live churches have problems with parking space, classroom space. Dead churches don't worry about space. Live churches are always changing things. Just have noisy. Just don't like change. They're always the same. Live churches have noisy children and young people. Praise God that grace is full of noisy kids and young people. Praise the Lord. I don't know if you noticed a couple Sundays ago when, uh, when Brother Dave preached at the conclusion of that sermon. In fact, this is a normal Sunday crowd. We just don't have any kids. See it, God out here? In fact, this is a normal Sunday crowd. We don't have any kids in here. I'm glad that we have children and young people. Live churches evangelize. Dead churches fossilize. Live churches are energized by worship. Dead churches are embarrassed by worship. In Nehemiah, we're talking about amen when, when, when it, is, it is used properly. Look what happens in Scripture in Nehemiah 8 and 6. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered amen, amen, with the lifting up of their hands. They bowed their heads in worship, and the Lord with their faces to the ground. Psalms 41, 13, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting, amen and amen. Blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory, amen and amen. I can go on and on and on tonight with scripture after scripture using the word amen. The word amen, and I know you're, it's tedious here at first, I knew it would be. But amen agrees with God. It agrees with the Spirit of God. It says yes to God. 
It is a yay and amen. We'll get into it. But when the scripture says the promises of God are yay and amen, we all understand what yay means, right? Not yay like yee-haw, yay, but you're saying yay as in yes. So we know right off that the promises of God are yes. But they are also amen. And amen is that agreement with God. It's where we agree in the spirit of God. It's where we connect with God. It's that that seal that we put on it. It's that time when we uh, align ourselves and our mentalities and our emotions to agree with what God is saying. The word amen is similar in concept to the word hallelujah. Often people say, <coughs> say both of these words, but they are powerful. These words are powerful. Hallelujah is not on the same level as saying yippee. We, we ought, I do that all the time. Something great happens, you know. Christy will say, Merrill, the electric bill went down by $60 last month. Well, hallelujah. Anybody else guilty? Three people are being honest. It is not on the same level as saying yippee or thank goodness or great or that's awesome. In the Hebrew language, the word hallelujah is in the imperative mode. It is a command. It means praise. Anybody ever had a dog that you trained to do some things? What's the first commandment you train a dog to do? Sit. And you know, if you walk up to a dog and you go, I like the people that holler sit long before the dog knows what it means. But you say, sit. That is a commandment that you're giving the dog to do something, right? The word hallelujah is the same thing. It means praise, but much like you would tell a dog to sit. It's not a, oh, I praise you, God. It's the commandment, I praise it is a command of praise. The word, the end of the word, uh, hallelujah, the Yah is shorthand for Yahweh. So the word hallelujah is not a request to praise God, but is a commandment to praise God. And so amen is much along the same line. It is a, it is a seal of approval. It is a, a understanding of the unchangeable aspect or the unchangeableness if that is a real word, some of you English majors can let me know that. Did I just create that, Jason? Unchangeableness of God's promise. The word amen is so powerful that Jesus himself took on the title of amen. In Revelations 3 and 14, the Bible says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation 
of God. So in our scripture setting tonight, in what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, for all of the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen. The message again writes it this way, whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. God's word is always faithful and true because he is none other than the creator of all things. God doesn't lie, we understand that. God doesn't uh, deceive, we understand that. And in this passage, Paul is writing, he understands what amen means, he's using it in its context, and is it a strong affirmation of truth? And it was the strongest affirmation of truth, if I could say it again, in the Greek language. You couldn't get any stronger. There was no word that could affirm it anymore. There was no word that Paul could could dig up that would try to impress us or try to impress upon us how sure and how true and how faithful the promises of God are. And I know we're sitting in here tonight we're half tired of it. Brother Merrill, I believe all of this. Teach me something I don't know. Teach me something I haven't heard before. But we forget it. And when the trial comes along, when the situation comes along, we question the promise of God. We question whether God's going to be true to his word. We question whether or not God really meant business. Was that promise really for me? Was that really for us? I want you to know tonight, be confident in the fact that God means what he says and he says what he means and every promise is a yes. How many of you believe that? How many of you are sleeping? Every promise is a yes, but Brother Merrill, God told me no. We'll get to that in a minute. God is not in the no business. You remember that scripture, knock and it shall be open, seek you shall find. Whatsoever you ask in my name. You remember all those? These are promises that God has made. And they're real. And they're true. We'll get to it in a minute. Because I know I can see the question marks. The Bible even closes in Revelations 22 and 21 with an amen, assuring everyone that the whole Bible is absolutely true and trustworthy. Now, in all of the words in the English language, there are very few that are more wonderful, that are more beautiful than the word yes. I like to hear the word yes. You know, 
Honey, are you cooking tonight? Yes. You ask the boss at work, boss man, can I have a pay raise? Yes. You look out the window and holler across of your house, you holler across the living room. Is that a brand new car in the driveway? Yes. Will you accept $50,000 for this $200,000 house? Yes. We love to hear the word yes. Children will play. We can play with them, and they will say, will you catch me, Daddy? I remember my boys doing that. Daddy, catch me. Will you catch me? Yes, boy, I'm going to catch you. I promise. I'm not going to drop you. And you know how we stand right at the edge. And they'll stand right there. And they go, come on, jump. I'll catch you. You going to catch me? But adults ask that of God. God, will you be there for me? God, will you help me? God, will you provide for me? God, can I trust you? God, will you forgive me again? God, can I have another chance? And God always answers with a yes. He is a yes God. I remember a couple of months ago, I was in a public place. I had taken my boys, and uh, the three of us were there. And there was a guy that proposed in front of an awful lot of people. Now, I know you've seen these guys that they'll do it at a some kind of a sporting event or they'll do it, you know, in front of just thousands of people. They make this big deal and they'll they'll propose out in public. I remember uh, I remember Marcus when he proposed to Cassie was done in a public restaurant, you know, get up and ding 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 on the glass and get everybody's attention. And I've always wondered what would happen. Now am I the only one that's ever wondered that? Because I've never seen in all the instances where I've seen these recorded or whatever, and, and you know, in the middle of the airport or whatever it is, where the woman ever said no. Has anybody ever seen one? I'd be curious. Brother Mike, you've seen that? It's always, oh, yes, I'll marry you. makes it hard on the rest of us guys that don't propose quite as romantically. I wonder what would happen if she said no. Man, can you imagine being in front of thousands of people and get that answer? But there's people here tonight, and it's either because of negative life experiences just simply because we don't understand. We just see God as this big no in heaven. It's like God leans over the balcony and everything we ask him, he just simply says no. I've often said we imagine God as this old gray-haired guy that stands on the precipice of heaven, right, leaning over this balcony or something with this armload of lightning bolts. 
and he waits for us to, to mess up so he can zap us. And, and that's a completely inaccurate representation of who God is. But so is it a, an inaccurate representation of who God is when we think that he is a no God, that God doesn't, that God doesn't uh, answer us or doesn't give us the big yes that, that, that we're looking for. When people say that God can't forgive me, I remember several years ago has been now standing in the backyard of a man and for two hours I begged him to understand that somehow he could, he could grasp it and put it into his mind that God could forgive him. And he kept telling me, no, he can't. God can't forgive me. God, God will never forgive me for all of the stuff I've done in my life. And I looked at him and I said, yes, he can God would love to forgive you. All you have to do is ask. And he and I was I was as passionate as I could try to be, and 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 the guy would never buy it. Just a few months later, he passed away. Never having taken the opportunity to meet a God that's yes, that He's a a yea and amen God, that that promise of salvation is 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 sure and it's it's faithful and it's true and it's going to happen. And so we, through life experiences, well, God didn't heal me last month. So there's no promise of healing. And I'm having a hard time accepting, uh, accepting forgiveness, so maybe God doesn't forgive or, or whatever the case is. Understand, understand that God's promises are settled. They cannot be changed. C.S. Lewis is an incredible writer, very, very intelligent man, great insight. He coined a phrase called the divine humility. If somebody came up to you and said, hey, good looking, I sure do think I'd like to date you. Until somebody better comes along, what you going to say? Nobody would say anything. We would just sit there. What are you going to say? you going to tell them to, <laughs> no, that's not how this works. You, you can hit the road, Jack. How about if somebody walks up to you and say, you know, I would like to really build a friendship with you and become best friends unless somebody else I like better comes along takes your place. Nobody likes to be second. Nobody likes to feel like they're down the list. When it comes to relationships, we like to say think that, you know, in my family, I'm people like me. My spouse at least likes me. You hope. We don't like to be told that you'll be the number one person in my life unless something else comes along. But how many times have you heard somebody testify 
or even experienced yourself where you say, you know what, I tried this, I tried this, I tried that, I tried such and such, and when I had tried everything I knew to do, and my situation didn't change and my problem wasn't solved, I tried Jesus. Everybody ever been there? God doesn't mind being the last option. God doesn't mind when we call, tell, go to him or call him our last resort. That's just who he is. Jesus is humble and he's lowly. And we can, we can do whatever, go wherever and try whatever. And he'll just sit there and wait, unlike me. Christy had come up to me and said, you know, hey, good looking. I want you to be my boyfriend until so-and-so over there breaks up with his girlfriend and I'm going after him. But Jesus will sit there and say, okay, I'll be your last resort, whatever it is that you need. And when we think about what the Bible tells us and gives us as the promises of God, and they're yes and they're forever settled. And the Bible is full of promises. It gives us so many. I, I've forgotten the exact number. I think there's some 8,000 plus promises in the, in the Bible, and, and they're every one of them are for you. When God says to Joshua, I will be with you wherever you go, God is telling us, yes, I'll be with you. When God says to Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not evil, to give you future and hope and expected end, that is a promise to you that God is saying, yes, I've got your future in my hand. I've got your destiny in my hand. I'll lead you to where you need to go. So what about the times that God says no? God will say no when it's in the context of a greater good. Let me illustrate it this way. If my oldest, if any of my kids or if anybody came up and just imagine that Joshua walks up and says, Dad, would you promise to protect me all my life? And I say, yes. I would promise to protect him. That's a promise I just made. And then a few minutes later, he walks up and says, Dad, I know you have the lawnmower running, but I sure would like to reach underneath there and grab that blade. Is that okay? Would it be mean of me to say no? That's how God does. To fulfill my promise of saying yes, sometimes I have to say no. You understand the illustration? So there's times we ask for things from God. God, I want you to do such and such for me. And God says no because he has to fulfill the yes promise he has already made. And so when we say, God, I, 
I prayed this prayer. Here's some a personal testimony. I prayed this prayer. God, if money would ever cause me to lose my relationship with you and endanger me of losing out on eternity with you, then please don't ever let me have any money. And money would cause me to lose out with God. I know that because he's never let me have any. He is, he's obeyed or he is, he is answered that prayer. And so if I went to God right now and said, God, I want a million dollars. Bless me, Lord. I got into discussion with God at work the other day about I need a blessing. You know, people run around talking about I want a blessing. God, I need a blessing of a million dollars. God's going to say no. But it's not because he's a no God. He's a yes God. But he's fulfilling the yes of another promise. And so there are times in our life when we don't understand and we can't see the the whole picture and we ask God to to do a certain thing or to to answer a certain prayer or provide a certain uh, substance or whatever the case is. And he says no, and then we say, well, God's a no God. He didn't heal. He didn't do this. But he is a God of yes. Whatever it is that you need, whatever circumstance it is, God wants to answer. Everybody understands how a light bulb works, right? You have to put it in the socket, however you do it, depending on the bulb. We get cynical in our in our carnality and think that God is again answering us no. And if we live a life of no, you usually turn into a no. And apart from being in the power of God, apart from being plugged in, it's hard to make things happen in our lives. It's hard for God to do things in our lives, to use us to illuminate. It's the light bulb principle. We have to be, we have to be connected. And you know, we can sit out there like the little light bulb in the package can sit out there and and it can sit there and say that that, you know, I, I never shine. That I'm never any value to anybody. I, I never illuminate anything. And over a process of time, if that uh, if that light bulb could think, it would eventually get the complex that nothing in power or God doesn't care about me, that God doesn't ever use me, that God never does anything with me or for me because that little light bulb is sitting in the package. It needs to be connected to the source. It needs to to engage God. God said, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it the more abundantly. So do we really believe that God is a yes God? Do we really believe that when God says amen, when it is forever settled, it's for our life? Again, the root, the, the Hebrew word amen is used in Genesis 15 and 16 when the Bible says, and he believed in the Lord and he was counted to him for righteousness. 
talking about Abraham. It's the word amen. In other words, Abraham, when the Bible says he didn't stumble at the promise of God, he realized that when God said it, he meant it. In Deuteronomy 7 and 9, it's used again when the Bible says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful amen, God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's a promise. Isaiah 53, 1, when the Bible says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Here, again, using the same word, that who is believing or who is sure in what God is saying. To get it into our mind, to believe it 100%, to not question, to not doubt God's promises, to not doubt who God is, who Jesus is and what he's doing. It's what the whole word amen is about. So, Sister Sarah, can you be healed? Amen. It is sure. It is true. It is faithful. Yes, it can happen. There was a song that was written by Eddie Carswell and Oliver Wells several years ago. I will not attempt to sing it. You can thank me after church. But I'll read the lyrics. And I want everybody to pay attention because this is the type of faith and the believing that we can get to. The song was written about a group of, of mentally challenged kids in a Christian special education class, and this is what they wrote. Up in the hills somewhere in Kentucky, in a little old school way back in nothing, where special kids born with special needs are sent to learn life's ABCs. Their teacher, Mrs. Jones, tells them all about Jesus and how in the twinkling of an eye he's coming back to get us, about streets of gold and pearly gates, how they want to go, they just can't wait. She can't keep them in their seats. They're all at the windows, straining to see, and its fingertips and noses pressed against the window panes, longing eyes, expectant hearts for him to come again. All they know is that they love him so, and if he said he'd come, he's coming, and they can't keep their windows clean for fingertips and noses. She tried to explain to the kids about his coming. She tried to calm them down. But they just wouldn't listen. They just giggled and clapped their hands. They're so excited that he's coming for them. And the first thing you know, they're out of their seats, back at the windows, straining to see. Where will Jesus find us when he comes again? Will we be like little children waiting just for him? With our fingertips and noses pressed against the window panes. Longing eyes, expectant hearts for him to come again. All we know is that we love him so, and if he said he'd come, he's coming. And we can't keep our windows clean for fingertips and noses.
The words of that song tell a story of these children, and I can picture them as plain as day. When the teacher tells them about Jesus coming, it's a promise, kids, that he's coming back for us. And they're so excited, they're so happy, that, and they buy it 100%. They, they believe it with all their heart. They, they get it in their mind, and they're, they're standing at the window literally waiting on him that very day. And as the words of the song says, they can't keep the windows clean. Because all these kids are standing at the window with their fingertips and their noses pressed against the glass waiting and looking for Jesus to return. Oh, how it could be in our life if when God made a promise that these kids, like these, they bought into it. If when God made a promise to us, we could understand the yes and we could understand the amen that we could expect it. Instead of doubting, instead of wondering, we could understand what Paul was saying when he used the word, amen. In other words, he's telling us, church, God's promises you can expect. You can know that they're there. You can know that they're, they're forever settled. They're not moving. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to be renegotiated. God's not going to say, this is a promise that I didn't intend for you. And much like these little kids that they wrote this song about, if we could ever get to the point where God, I've prayed for whatever it is in my life, and now I expect it. I expect to see it so soon, I'm going to stand at the window and look for that answer. I'm looking for the fulfillment of that promise. And, and you say, Brother Merrill, how can we do that? Because God has said that his promises are amen. They're done. It's complete. It's finished. I thank God for being a God like that. Praise the Lord. Stand tonight. Thank you for your attention in Bible study. Again, uh, for the rest of this week, if you would, for the next ensuing weeks, as you pray, please remember the Negroni family, that God would touch them and bless them. And let's go out of here tonight knowing, not just believing in the promises of God, but knowing that what God says he'll do, he promises he'll do it. So he will do it. And if we can ever get to that point, I think personally, probably for most of us, we'll see God do incredible things in our life. Praise the Lord. God bless you tonight. Shake somebody's hand. If you don't know who they are, please introduce yourself. And uh, don't go, don't take off out of town, but we'll see you Sunday morning. And uh, we'll have a great service in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.